Luke chapter Luke 12, 12, 12 will, be at, will be at verses 22 to 34. We are. We are. We are in a. We are in a. Mini series. Mini series. Paranormal hearts for Christmas. Addressing the topic of materialism, which can often influence our experience and our perspective of Christmas. So we're taking time to look at what the Word of God says, and the Word says very much about materialism and money. Uh, and we do this because we want to come this Christmas as worshipers. We want to come before the Lord and, and appreciate all that the season signifies and celebrate. So we'll be looking at this passage in Luke. And last week we spoke about, I spoke about um, the parable of the rich farmer. We looked at that and we looked at the whole phenomenon of materialism and how materialism can dirty us, deceive us, and destroy us, but Christ comes to deliver us from materialism. We're going to just continue in the same dialogue that Christ was having with his disciples. We're going to continue on this week and talk about the cure a little more, the ultimate cure, how the Lord delivers us. And then next week we'll spend a little bit of time concluding this mini-series, just talking about really what does it look like? For somebody who has, who has been cured of materialism, what does your life look like? How, do we, how does a disciple of Christ look at and handle finances? How do we use these things for kingdom purposes? So we'll do that next week. So we learned that last week uh, we are to guard against all covetousness. And Jesus said, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And we saw the story of the rich farmer. We're going to look at this passage today, and we'll read it in a minute after we pray, but in this passage today, Jesus commands his disciples not to be anxious. In light of the story of the rich farmer who was, in the end, not rich, he was impoverished before God, Jesus says, in light of this, don't be anxious. Don't set your heart on things. And he, he leads us through, really, how not to be anxious. So he commands us not to be anxious, and then he gives the truth that when empowered by the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to be free from anxiety and give ourselves to kingdom finances, to use our money, our things, for Him. When we don't use our money for kingdom purposes, there's really only one reason that's operating in our lives. When we are not able to be free to use our finances for His purposes joyfully, there's one reason, and that reason is that we're putting our faith in our things and not God. So what we will see as we go through this passage today is how Jesus called us to not be anxious, not to, not to live for things, but to put our faith in the Father. And as a result, to use our things for His purposes to receive great, re great reward. Really what He does is He teaches us about the nature of God who God is, really what we think about God, what we, what we picture God being, who we know God to be, what we believe about God will determine everything about us. It will determine our outlook on life. It will determine how we spend our money, how we live. And so in this passage, Jesus brings truth about his Father so that it might cure our anxiety, that we might use our finances for the kingdom and let God take care of the rest. So let's pray as we prepare ourselves to look at his word. Lord, we thank you 
We thank you that you are faithful, Lord, to speak into our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you care about us so much that you want to speak about this area that, Lord, we all struggle with. Whether we know it or not, in our culture, Lord, we are affected by materialism. We are affected by the love of money. And, Lord, we need help. And we thank you so much that you have spoken and, Lord, your word's been recorded and preserved for us so that today we can learn from you and that you, as you dwell amidst us by the Spirit, would speak to us. So we ask for that, Lord. Thank you for the blood of Christ and your love, Lord. Because of this, we can come and hear you and you can use a, a, a foolish man such as myself to speak truth. So come, Holy Spirit, and speak to us through the word. For your purposes, O oh God, we pray and thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Let's look at Luke chapter 12, verse, verse 22, and following on to verse 34. And I'm in the wrong gospel. It's like, boy, that doesn't look like the text that I just studied. Here we go. John chapter 12, verse 22. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The Word of God, Luke chapter 12. Jesus starts this section as he interacts with his disciples. He's teaching his disciples and he calls 
his disciples not to be anxious. In light of the sad story of the rich farmer who was anxious about his life, who was anxious about what to eat and what to drink and thought if I just had enough to know that I would have clothing and housing for the rest of my life, then I would be happy. In light of that story where he invested his life in those things and then found himself suddenly before God impoverished. In light of that, in light of covetousness and materialism, Jesus calls his disciples not to be anxious. He wants his disciples to not be anxious, not to be anxious about things. And he tells them life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Now, if he had stopped there, it really wouldn't have been anything new for us. I think the idea of not being anxious about things is a common desire. Who wants to be anxious about things? We know we shouldn't be anxious about things. We, we know that life is more than food. And we know that the body is more than clothing. It would be just kind of a, a trivial truism. It wouldn't have meant much if he had stopped there. But what Jesus does after that point, he calls his disciples, don't be anxious. Life is more than food. The body is more than clothing. And he begins in this section to lay out the truths that allow us to genuinely not be anxious. To genuinely pursue what life is about. Not things, but the kingdom and God's work. So he, in this section, leads us into truth. Truths that we need to know. Anyone here ever been anxious about your bank account? Anyone here anxious right now about how you're going to pay for Christmas gifts? Anyone here know that life is more than that stuff? Anyone here know that Christmas is more than the gifts and the money? We know that, don't we? Jesus gives us the truth here that allows us to live that out in this passage. So he starts out teaching that the Father provides all things needed. You have that in your notes. He provides all things needed. And he uses the story of the ravens. He asks us to consider the ravens. He asks his disciples to consider these birds that they would have seen around them. And they really were, they were insignificant, even ugly birds. They were the sort of birds that no one cared about. They just throw away birds. Now, ravens for us are, would be unusual, or the typical raven. But those sort of birds for us might be a sparrow or a starling. He's saying, consider these birds that are undesirable, unimportant, just the stuff that we wonder, Lord, why would you make that thing? What sort of purpose does that starling have? What sort of purpose does that, that moth have or spiders? I don't get it, Lord. Just consider one of these creatures that really just doesn't seem to matter a whole lot. Jesus says, consider this creature and then observe this creature, that this creature, the raven, or whatever one may pertain, it doesn't work. It doesn't have to go out to the field and plow and season and then fertilize and, and then harvest. It doesn't have to do all that. It doesn't do any of that. It doesn't work a nine-to-five job. It doesn't punch a clock. It doesn't slave and worry over work. It doesn't even have a shed or a barn. It doesn't have a bank account. It doesn't even have a pantry. This insignificant animal doesn't have any of this yet. Your father feeds them. 
they have what they need. God feeds these undesirable and unimportant birds what they need each day. Aren't you more important? And aren't you more desirable in God's eye than a bird? Aren't you? God is faithful to care for these birds. Won't He care for you? And then He goes on to call us not to be anxious. And He says in that section, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Since when, essentially he's saying, since when has worrying about this stuff helped any? Since when has being anxious added any value to your life? Since when has worrying produced anything but worry and problem? It doesn't work. It doesn't bring anything to you. Why worry? We are to run from anxiety. We are to recognize that God calls us not to be anxious. We are to run from this natural orientation we have to be anxious about stuff. Don't be anxious. Run from anxiety and run to God. Don't worry. If God takes care of the ravens, these birds, every day, and you can multiply that thousands and millions of times, times, all the things around us that God maintains, all the, the things that He feeds, if He does that, won't He take care of you? Aren't you more important to Him as His children than a bird? As you listen to the news, as you watch CNN and they say things like it's the worst it's ever been since the Great Depression, what goes on in you at that moment? As you look ahead to the future and, and, and these large companies are failing and it doesn't seem like our government knows quite what to do about it, what is your emotion? What, is, what are your thoughts at those moments? Are you anxious? Now, the, the news media makes money by getting you to watch the news. So I'm not saying that's the truth, but that's what they say. It looks like our economy is in trouble. What's going on with you at those moments? God takes care of the birds. God takes care of the ravens. Will He not? Will He not take care of you? Oh, you of little faith? Will He not? Jesus goes on. He says, Consider the lilies, how they grow. Jesus is calling their attention to the beautiful flowers that would have been around them. Perhaps the anemones. And there was a flower called the purple anemone. I think we have a picture, Brennan. We can put that up. And these flowers would have been around. And this particular flower was colored purple. And purple was a rare color back then. The only people that wore purple were really rich people and royalty were really rich. Because the dyes were very expensive. I think they were made from uh, shells. And they were rare. So purple was this royal, regal color. Jesus says, consider the lilies, consider all the flowers, perhaps pointing out a purple anemone. Consider these lilies. Consider how they are arrayed. Consider this simple flower. Look at this flower. This flower doesn't spend its time 
looking at the latest fashions. This flower doesn't spend its time reading GQ or Vogue. This flower doesn't spend its time going to Kohl's or Macy's, getting the latest styles. This flower doesn't spend time buying the, the nicest makeup. It doesn't do any of these things. Consider this simple flower, this elegant flower that God made. Not even the best-dressed man that they knew in history, Solomon, incredibly rich, perhaps well-dressed man for the day, had an outfit that would have topped one of these flowers. And then he says, this is for flowers. This is grass. This is stuff that doesn't matter. Today it's in the field. Tomorrow it dries up and you use it for kindling. You throw it in the oven as kindling. It doesn't matter. God cares about something like this little flower He has chosen in His wisdom and graciousness to make the flower beautiful, to produce beauty in that flower. Won't He take care of you? Aren't you more important than a flower? Aren't you more desirable as His children if you are a believer? And really all of humanity as well. Aren't you more desirable in this flower? So won't He clothe you? Won't He take care of you? If He takes care of this? What sort of God is your God? What sort of God is your God? Is He a stingy God? Doesn't care about you? Or is, or is He the God who is so gracious that He takes care of all these things in wisdom, in faithfulness, and knows just how to take care of you in your life. That's the God of the Bible. That's the God that Jesus is talking about. A faithful God. A gracious God. As I think about this, I, I realize that I, I am well clothed. Uh, I just started it as I prepare this, think about how many clothes I have in my closet. If you saw my closet, it's not a big closet. It is packed full of clothes. I think my closet has more stuff on it, more shirts and pants. It's a two-layer two closet, more sweaters, more shoes than, than Walmart has on the day after Christmas. And I've found that if I can wait on God, God, God provides for me. I counted, actually, this morning. I counted... The amount, the amount of tweed coats and sport coats and the amount of suits I have. And all these have come as gifts, as either hand-me-downs, hand-me-ups, or gifts. My clothing budget is about $10 a month. That's all it is. So I can buy underwear and socks, more or less. Um, and I can't get a whole lot else. But if I look in my closet, it's packed with stuff. I got, did I tell you how many coats and suits? Did I tell you? No. 11 coats. I, I couldn't believe it, and I'm glad my wife's not here today, because she would go home and clean it out right away. <laughs> you can tell who the keeper is and who isn't, but I had a, 11 different tweed coats. I could wear a different coat every Sunday till springtime uh, if I used all my coats and jackets. Nine different suits. It sounds scandalous. I mean, I thought, wow, I only, only thought I had like two suits. I got nine different suits. It's all God's provision, and that's just one small example for me of His provision. And I know in your lives, we can multiply those stories over and over again. And it's so important as we face these temptations, as we face these anxieties, to recount God's past provision. 
to open up our eyes and look around us and see His faithfulness. See His faithfulness in creation. How He's faithful and gracious in creation. And then see His faithfulness in our lives with material things. As I think about my life, I've never gone, gone hungry, apart from choice. Never gone hungry. From the time I was an infant, through childhood, uh, early adulthood, and now, I've never gone hungry. Maybe I need to go hungry a little more, because I'm gaining weight, but, but I've never gone hungry, apart from choice. I've had foods. I've had clothes on my back. I've had a roof over my head. God has been faithful to me, and I know that's the same for you. But that's not just it. If, if I start to think, and if you start to think about His provision, it gets multiplied again and again and again. For me, it's not just food in my stomach, clothes on my back, roof over my head. It's an expensive education all the way through graduate school. Paid for. It's countless cars we've owned. It's amazing gifts. It's fantastic vacations. Wonderful parties together. Delicious meals. Toys and recreations. Countless blessings material blessings that I have received and I take for granted. And when the budget's a little tight, I start biting my nails. Oh, God, you're not good. It's not going to happen. I'm anxious. How ridiculous. How ridiculous that is. Jesus is bringing this point home so that we might not be anxious, so that we might be freed from materialism, to give ourselves to God's purposes, to recognize and remember He has been faithful and project that into the future, He will be faithful. I'm not, I'm not going to be hungry, naked, and homeless tomorrow because my bank account's a little tight. God has been faithful. God's going to be faithful. He will take care of us. He provides for our physical needs. There's a wonderful hymn called His Eyes on the Sparrow, and I encourage you to to look at that. It's a, a hymn. We don't have time to go through it. But a wonderful hymn about His provision. Sing those sort of hymns to your own soul when you're anxious. Get to know those things. Let them fill you. Let them affect your perspective. So He provides for our physical needs. He provides also, Jesus goes on, He provides the kingdom of God for us. Jesus illustrates His provision for physical needs. Then He goes on in this section to talk about His provision of the kingdom. Do you see that in verse 32? Down near the bottom. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. An amazing statement. It is the Father's good pleasure, little flock, my disciples. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Not only is it my Father's good pleasure to provide for you physically, to provide food, clothing, and shelter, and more than that. But it is my Father's good pleasure as my children, as this little flock, to provide for you the kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the place of God's rule. It's where Jesus, the King, rules. It's where He rules over our lives, where He is the Lord. And the kingdom comes really through His work in the heart, through truth. And then through that affects the world and, and the, the wholeness of the world. The ultimate, the ultimate result of the kingdom coming will be that it fills the whole earth and changes everything. And it's the Father's good pleasure 
to give you to give you the kingdom. The Father's orientation to you is to provide for you physically everything you need for your life and for His purposes in and through your life. Every single thing. And it is the Father's intention for you to give you the kingdom. He wants you to experience the rule and reign of Christ. That means forgiveness through His blood, power through His resurrection, character through the indwelling Spirit working out through us, purposes in our lives to affect the world, to extend the kingdom. It is the Father's good pleasure for you. The Father has looked at your life and He's seen you now even at a time of economic crisis and said, I am pleased to give this one the kingdom. I am pleased. He's thought before time began of you. And He's thought with delight of the sort of Christmas gift He could give you. God is like... uh, One of those relatives, perhaps you have one like this, who does their Christmas shopping early. Do you know anybody like that? They start shopping December 26th, and they think ahead, and and these people are amazingly admirable, and it sounds like there's a few in our midst. They they start shopping on the 26th, and they shop for their family and friends, and, and they take the time to think about those people. And throughout the year, they remember Christmas. I don't remember Christmas till like December 1st, but these people remember Christmas throughout the year, and they're always looking out for a gift, a good buy on a certain gift for somebody. And they, they, they go ahead at the moment, take that gift, buy it, wrap it up, put it up on the, the closet shelf, hide it somewhere in the attic, whatever it is. And then on Christmas Day, they give that person the gift, and you know for them what's like. Their experience, I think, is much more joyful than mine, since I've just bought it or my wife bought it or right before Christmas. They've been thinking about it all year and they're sitting there at that moment when you have that gift ready to open it thinking, this is great. I can't wait. The joy the person feels when you open that gift knowing that they've been thinking about you all year long. And then the receiver, if the receiver knows that, thinking, wow, this is a unique and special gift. That's what the Father is like. The Father has looked at you before time began. If you are His, You've turned from your sin and placed your faith in Him. He, you belong to Him and He's looked at you from before time began and thought, I can't wait. I can't wait till they open this gift. And I can't wait till I work my purposes out in this person's life. I have all these things planned. I have the gift of forgiveness and salvation. I have the gift of, of giving them peace in my character. I have the gift of working every single circumstance in their lives, designing all things so that this one will be changed and begin to know what it is to to love me and to love others, will begin to know what it is to be like my son and will be used by me. I can't wait. I can't wait for this. I look forward to this, working out my purposes in this person's life. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's His orientation to you. That's what He's like. That's how He sees life. He is desirous to give you the kingdom and to work it out in your life. To give you His Son. So the Father and the Son conspired together before time began and thought about how they would do this. And they looked at you. And they knew who you would be. They knew and know who you are. That's the thing that makes it even more amazing. You can't fool God. 
He knows the fullness of who you are. He knew before time began what would happen. He knew that you would fall into sin and be corrupted. He knew that you would live a life of rebellion against Him. He knew that you would purposely choose to try to live your life the best you could without Him around. He knew you would run from Him. He knew you would scorn His love and put your faith anywhere else but Him. And yet He still set His affection on you. He said, I love this one. And I'm going to pursue this one. I'm going to chase her down. I'm going to chase him down. And eventually I'm going to get a hold of their lives. He knew. He knew who you were. He knew your sin. And He knew because of your sin that you were in trouble. He knew because of your rebellion against Him that justice demanded that you that you receive the due penalty for your choice. He knew that you deserve eternal exile and banishment from His presence and the torture of living life apart from His presence and goodness. Even then, even then, He loved you. Even then, He planned with the Son that the Son would come and suffer and die on the cross. That the Son would pay for these transgressions and sins so that you could be forgiven, so that the kingdom might be yours, that you might be part of the kingdom and serve its purposes. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's His desire to do that. It's been His intention from the beginning of time to give you the kingdom, to give you the very best Christmas gift you could ever, ever have. That's His desire. That's His intention. To give you peace and to rule over your life, to to set you apart and to use you. And then, when it's all done in this life, which will be very soon, to welcome you into His presence forever. And then welcome you at the end of all things into the new creation forever and ever. And when we've been there 10,000 years, we will look back and this life will just be a fleeting dream to us. And we will recognize Why did I worry? Why was I anxious? Why did I spend that time thinking about stuff when I had the Father, when I had the Kingdom? And I could have been freed from that and used all that for His purposes in that very short lifespan. Why didn't I take more risks? Now, I don't think you'll have that sort of regret. There'll be joy. I don't know how it's all going to mix together. But you'll know You'll know the fullness of this truth at that moment. He is pleased to give us the kingdom. He is pleased. We are rich. We are rich beyond imagination. From the heavenly perspective, we are filthy rich. We have all things, every spiritual blessing in Christ. We have a Father who will faithfully provide His for our physical needs. We are filthy rich. So perhaps you just need to imagine yourself at this Christmas time that way. How would a very rich person do Christmas? Well, they might, they might spend their gifts on things that aren't kingdom gifts, but, but they're going to walk around and there's, there's going to be a joy and a confidence that they have. They're not going to be worried about stuff, perhaps. We are filthy rich in the Lord because we have the Lord. So let at Christmas time, no matter what our budgets might be, no matter, no matter what our 
bank accounts might be. Let us live in light of this truth that we are rich. The Father is for us and He's pleased to give us the kingdom. That's what Jesus is teaching here. He wants His disciples not to be anxious. He wants His disciples to use their money for eternal purposes. And in order to get to that place, they, they must realize, and you and I must realize, that the Father provides all things we need physically. And the Father has given us the kingdom. And when we get a hold of that, it changes us. It gives us the ability to be radically generous. It gives us the ability to be radicals and taking risks, biblical wise risks, but risks nonetheless with our finances for his kingdom purposes. So at the end of this, he, he calls the disciples to live that out. And we're going to spend more time next week talking about the specifics of what that looks like. What does radical generosity look like? But he calls us to this. In light of his graciousness, in light of his faithfulness, in light of the cross, who can help but be generous? In light of the cross and what he has brought us through the cross, in light of the cross and the resurrection, the entire gospel and its implications, who can help but know joy? In light of the gospel, who can help but be free? Why should we live for cheap temple rewards when we can have and serve the kingdom? Why invest our lives in Twinkies and movie rentals when we can have an eternal legacy in Him? That's what Jesus is saying. Nothing wrong with Twinkies and movie rentals, by the way. But He calls us. I like Twinkies. He calls us, he calls us to have this mindset where we're free and trivial temporal things, and we use those things for eternal purposes. For a return that lasts forever. Unlike the rich farmer, he found himself on that final day impoverished. God wants us, Jesus wants us on that final day to stand before him rich. And to say, I'm so glad I put that money in the kingdom and your purposes and not in Twinkies or whatever. Now, we'll talk more next week. God gives us money to provide for our needs too. I'm not saying that. But we want to be free from this sense that I've got to worry about my needs. I've got to worry about myself. To invest in eternal things. Uh, the first car that we ever had as a family that was expensive was a 1987, I think it was a 1987, Subaru GL wagon. And it, and it had, for us, that was an upgrade. It had all the bells and whistles. Uh, it was a nice, comfortable car. And we basically emptied our savings account for the Subaru, for the Subaru GL wagon. I think the car lasted about a year and a half. It was a used car when we got it, but it was a very nice used car. We had to have the engine rebuilt. And about a year and a half later, the engine wall collapsed. And the transmission went. And so this beautiful car we had was gone, and, and, I, and I hardly remember it. All that money that we had that we spent on this car, and it was one of those purchases. I don't know if you've ever made a purchase like this. You've got the money, it burns a hole in your pocket, and you and no, we need a car, boom, you buy the car. You don't get counsel, you don't pray, you don't wait. It was one of those purchases. A year and a half, it was gone. The car's gone. It's, it's probably crushed to, and melted into shares or something at this point. We don't know. It's gone. During that time, though, 
we as a family were investing our money in Compassion International. Part of our giving to the Lord and, uh, was to give money to Compassion Interna- International. And through their ministry, there was a young lady whose picture was on our refrigerator. Her name is Manjula Martin. You guys remember? Really, that, that's a very small gift. It's, I don't know, $25 a month. This young lady was educated, was clothed, housed, and fed, and was given the gospel. And as she got a little older, we corresponded with her. I don't know if you guys remember that. We used to write letters back and forth. They had to be translated. But uh, Manjula's life, for a very small amount of money, was changed forever. And one day soon, we will see it. And there'll be a treasure that lasts forever for only 25 bucks a month. We could have taken the, the money for that Subaru and we could have, we could have sponsored Manjula to, for a thousand years or whatever. We could have, or we could have sponsored a hundred Manjulas or whatever. There's so much more we could have done with that money. And we're so glad that we sponsored Manjula. And her life was impacted. This is what Christ is calling us to do. Guys, be free from the worry about money and use it for eternal purposes. Use it to affect the Manjulas in your lives. Don't spend it on the Subarus. Question, what are the Subarus in your life right now? What are the Manjulas in your life? There are some opportunities for us as a church to put this stuff into practice and to do it right now. And, and as we go, I want to encourage you, if the Lord is leading you, write a check, give it to Pam, one of the ushers, there are some opportunities for us. I, I want to show a video of one opportunity and I want to talk about some local opportunities. So if we could see that, this is a ministry we're involved with in Africa. So if you could roll that. Here we go. that this child was going to die, but Bobob was ready to help me. When we first met Rosalind, uh, she was living with her grandmother because her mother had recently died of AIDS and her father had abandoned the family. This little girl was sick with syphilis, uh, which she had inherited through childbirth, and as a result of that, she had sores on her scalp that were very difficult to look at. Uh, They also had a strong odor, and as a result of that, other children would not tolerate being around her, so Rosalind could not even go to school. We immediately took Rosalind uh, down the road to the clinic in town where the nurse prescribed a treatment for her, really a, a very simple treatment, and I'll never forget uh, hearing what that treatment cost. It was 8,600 Ugandan shillings, uh, which is the equivalent of $4.37. It's an amazing illustration of what just a few dollars can do in the life of a child uh, in an area like rural Uganda. Sponsoring a child to Covenant Mercy is just a privilege for me because I come from being in this country. I am one of those children born in this country. And I was fortunate enough to have parents that can afford to feed me, send me to school. But even as a child, I was able to see other children around me that didn't have the same opportunities. In reality, most of the children in our program aren't suffering from a severe illness the way Rosalind was, uh, but they are exposed to that same risk. 
and uh, really for an amount of money that we will not miss, uh, we can provide them with medical support when needed, with nutritional support, and with, uh, with an education that they otherwise would not have received. I'm giving every month, but I'm, I'm receiving more than I'm, I'm giving. To see the joy in those children's eyes is just amazing. You know, it's, it just blesses my life. All of these good works that we're doing in his name are being done through the local church so that over time uh, what they'll understand is that uh, they've not just received uh, mercy and compassion through a, a group of good people but they've received uh, mercy and compassion through the one who is truly a father to the fatherless. To hear stories like a little girl that can be cured takes for four dollars touches my heart to where I even want to do more. I can look at the impact that little is having and only God can do that. One example, there are loads out there, uh, and we're just going to pass out the brochures. If you're interested, take one, pray about it, think about it. Uh, an opportunity to impact the mandula for a very small amount of money. These are the sort of things the Lord wants us to call us to call us forward into, to walk by faith, to step out, uh, to be free from worry of our finances, to give to things like this. Also, locally, we as a church have a benevolence fund, and thank you so much for you who give to that, be it occasionally or regularly. Uh, at Christmas, we do have some needs in our midst, uh, some that uh, because of the seasonal life and so forth, affording certain things is hard, and we as a church want to bless them at this Christmas time. So I want to encourage you to think about maybe stepping out to express your faith in the Lord, to take a step to apply these truths we're talking about today that contributes perhaps to the Benevolence Fund. We will use that money. To, to provide for families, provide gifts for children and assistance and food for some of those in our midst who at Christmas time, uh, in particular, feel the pinch, feel the need. So you can also, uh, if you haven't written a check, write that and give it to Pam. And then next week we'll have a, an opportunity to present those things to those people. Some will remain, remain anonymous. We want to allow them to be anonymous. Others will just have a chance to bless them and encourage them as well. These are the opportunities we have. This is the sort of lifestyle the Lord calls us to. There's many opportunities we have to give to express this reality that He brings to our lives where we're no longer anxious about our money. We can turn around and through wise stewardship and wise use of our money invested in kingdom purposes. So that on that day when we stand before Him, we will be rich. We will be celebrating what God led us to do in our lives. If the band could come up as we close. Jesus closes this section by saying, for where your treasure is, there is your heart also. And it, there's this amazing relationship between our heart and our wallet. Our heart leads us in our wallet. Our heart leads us where we want to give. The truth that he's teaching here, changes our minds and our hearts and our lives and produces fruit in our wallet. But also it feeds back. 
where we put our wallet will also influence our hearts. And there's this wonderful promise that as we give to him, it will affect our hearts. Where our treasure is, there will be our heart also. We want to grow in our kingdom-mindedness. The Savior invites us to invest in his kingdom purposes, giving to the needy and other purposes as well. He brings this wonderful truth here in this section, just by way of review. The Father provides all our needs. The Father has provided the kingdom for us. Therefore, we needn't worry. Therefore, we are freed, and now we can use our finances for the kingdom as we let God take care of the rest. Lord, thank you for this truth. Thank you for this precious passage. Thank you for who you are, and thank you for what you call us to. And I pray, Lord, would you come and would you change us? Would you change us as individuals and families and as a church that we may live not worrying about our money, but trusting you? Lord, that we would live as wise stewards, investing our money in things that last forever. And I pray, Lord, you would lead your people, even this week, in this change and in walking out this truth. Give us joy and faith and freedom as we give to your kingdom purposes, to the needy, the needy overseas, the needy in our midst, the needy around us. We pray in Christ's name.